been a long time. It's almost like I was fired, I thought, for a second there. <laughs> oh, what, with the fireside stuff? Yeah, fireside. Fire miss, fireside, same yeah. difference. Well, you know, you were busy. You were going through some stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've all been going through yeah. some stuff this year, so, you know, I figured I'd let you have some time off to recharge. It was uh, it was much needed. But yeah. I, but, and I know that you were very jealous uh, of the fact that I did these fireside programs, but... I was. Well, what did you think? They were uh, they were really cool, actually. Um, I think it's definitely something that we should continue doing, even even if it hurts you. Even if it hurts me. Did it did it really hurt you? Yeah, a little twinge of jealousy. God. I'm always God. I'm always, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, now, yeah, that that was fun, but uh, this is, I think, my favorite, my favorite. Oh. Fuck, fuck the workers. <laughs> really about the brains behind the outfit. Not really. There's very little brains behind yeah. it. But I thought it was nice to see uh, and hear, see. I visualized yeah, what was going on. Shit, yeah. Um, going on about so nice to hear uh, Palmer's genuine comments uh, about what was going on. And then uh, Roxy was almost like, like a kid on Christmas. You know, there was a, a sweetness to those. I enjoyed those. Yes, sir. Um, and of course... We're seeing Palmer kind of do some fun stuff on TNA right now. Yeah. Which is how about that? Ha- about fucking time, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I think he's like one of the most slept on wrestlers in the country. Yeah. So it's good to see him getting getting an opportunity well, to do stuff on a, on a bigger platform. Yeah, and what what a guy that just just uh, feels at home on TV. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he just feels like he he belongs there. Yeah, absolutely. And I know he's got some good people in his corner. Like Robert Evans is in his corner, and oh, he's, he's got, oh yeah, that's right. He's got. Good, I didn't put that together. He's got good people yeah. to kind of to kind of talk to and talk nice. talk with. So yeah, that's that's awesome. But yeah, here we go once again uh, with Inspire eighty proper, where we are discussing the linear history of our little homegrown wrestling promotion out of Austin, Texas, and uh, when last you. Uh, Suffered through us. We had just wrapped up what? Uh, God damn, you put me on the spot. I'm all in on uh, Ecstasy of Gold here. It, but it, it was kind of a... Yeah, you threw me for a loop. We, did, we, we, we had just I've, done Battle Wars 2. Oh, that's right. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, so we did Battle Wars 2, and we had jettisoned uh, young Master Stroud <laughs> from our... Yes. From our, from the, yes, from we the, had. From the mothership, if you will. <laughs> for a, inappropriate behavior. That motherfucker's gone as yeah. of this point in history. And I think that's something that we kind of have to discuss right now. Not so much harping on him, though. I will never decline. A chance to harp. Yeah, I will. I love to bash him. Which makes me sad, because sometimes I see in my... You know, when you get memories. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you see like, oh, I used to be married to this person. You know, yeah. not anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, <clears throat> I think we have to discuss the process of selecting a new ring announcer because, to me, the ring announcer is the connective tissue that really holds a show to part, uh, to, 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 uh, holds it together. Excuse my mush-mouthedness. Um, and we wanted to do something different than what Stroud had previously done because I think a lot of people... Uh, behind the scenes felt that Stroud often made the shows about him. Yeah, and I think you can definitely... Yeah. Going back through these, uh, I get madder and madder when I... There's constantly instances that something major has happened and he jumped in the ring and just turned oh, cool. it no right back about me. Yeah, he kind of like yeah. plays, it, plays, plays it to kind of show off his own humor. Yeah. He's kind of a bully. Um, and so... One of the things that I really wanted to do when we came back was I wanted to find someone with a unique voice. There were a few people that I entertained. Uh, I thought about uh, having a female ring announcer, though there really wasn't anybody that I felt uh, that was female that could have been, I don't want to say effective, but it's... Yeah, the, it, well... You kind of really have to really know your shit. Yeah, I and, mean, and if, at if that point, doing... they would have had to grow into the role. Yeah. Um, and they're... For at least it didn't seem like there was anybody interested in going through no, that process, there right? Wasn't. So you you really had to kind of kind of approach it as a yeah. different a different trade it, in a different universe, and you had to be really intimate, intimately um, familiar with with a, yeah. a lot of the business too. I think Stroud, above all else, always 
knew exactly who he was introducing. If there was somebody from out of town or there was a New Japan guy, yeah. he took delicate care to always introduce them properly and get everything down uh, on paper. His cards were impeccable, I yeah. could at least say that. Yeah. And that was something I definitely wanted to maintain. But I had I had a, a few people in mind, um, but one of the one of the one of the females that I did approach who I thought could have done it just didn't want to do it. Um, you may or may not know this, but I actually uh, I approached Chris Cubis. Yeah, Chris uh, is good people. Yeah, Chris Cubis was at one point considered to be yeah. our ring announcer, but he was also doing a lot of stuff for Comedy Central. I yeah. believe at that time. That that was the peak. Yeah, of, uh, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he was not available, and this is this is a name that you most assuredly probably don't know that was in the hat, and I was talking to. Uh, with regularly about it, but I considered getting Mike Weeby, the front man of the river, the Riverboat Gamblers. Well, you did tell me okay. this at the time. Yeah, yeah, so I had an idea that yeah. I was going to have Mike Weeby come out in big horn <laughs> glasses in a tuxedo, and he was going to be like a Neil Hamburger type <laughs> ring announcer. Uh, it's, it's sad that never happened, but my God, what a great what a great yeah. character that would have been. Um, and too bad it can't even just be a manager, but yeah. maybe it will be. You never you, know. You never know. Never know. Spoilers, um, but. One of the other guys that was on the short list was a gentleman by the name of Richard Whitaker, who is a, an English gentleman who writes for the Chronicle, covers a lot of film stuff, knows wrestling uh, pretty deeply. Yeah, very well. Yeah, and uh, has a phenomenal voice. And I, I kind of fell in love with that idea, but I also was very skeptical of him being available or even wanting to do it. Yeah. But much to my... Um, my my delight he he was very interested and showed up and did it and uh i was really scared that because we kept the stroud stuff sort of under wraps yeah that his disappearance and then the emergence of this new voice would be roundly shat upon by the crowd yeah but that was not the case now they they accepted him right away it seemed like i also think that what richard richard because he has such a stately voice and he adds like an international flavor to our presentation what what really made him great was that he didn't make the show about himself he wasn't invisible but he added a tier of quality to our presentation without really shitting on it like stroud continually seemed to do in in hindsight yeah and like a level of like respect and uh, decorum and like class to it yeah absolutely i think i think uh we even had hoyt sort of christen and, and, and embrace him as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was a, a fun thing to do. The, <laughs> turning, to... <laughs> the turning of the cor- corner, a new era, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but, man, voice is so important, and also just presenting yourself is so important. Um, I mean, I've seen shows that have ring announcers, who, and it's just some schlub in jorts with yeah. cue cards and a ball cap. It was like the last last thing that they did oh yeah. shit hey kid hey right. hey hey hey! i know that you're pedicabbing right now but <laughs> yeah. you want to make an extra 20 bucks yeah. i don't know if, if that um but richard i cannot say enough great stuff about he really always uh has been there for us has not missed a date since he's no. been, in, been in our fold <laughs> and uh just he he's he's a good fit for the family yeah and we should do we should do an episode with him. I'd love to do a fire. Oh, dude, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. that's definitely one that we should do. Yeah. A, a very punk rock for being as proper and <laughs> he's he's a very well rounded individual. Yeah, he knows a lot he knows about his stuff. Knows man. a lot about music and and comics and film and wrestling. He is to me he that yeah. is punk rock, man. One of my favorite Twitter follows as well. He's always got got something on there. Um. So yeah, dive into the the business we're, we're, of this card. Yeah, man, we're he- so today's focus, kids, is Ecstasy of Gold Three, which I believe had kind of like a the, all the the media and the poster had a kind of an ice theme. Yeah, gold runs cold. The gold runs do, cold. Do you remember where that name came from? No. So, at, I mean, let's. I mean, it's fucking like five years ago now. Let's spill the beans, like. Um, remember there was a point in time like Stroud was pushing to get um, oh Glacier Glacier on this card and like yes. I mean there were enough inroads that we like put the name out there and I was like well if it doesn't work out it's still a cool name wow you know what we're actually glossing over what's that we have completely forgotten to talk about Mondo 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that the, around this time? This is around yeah. that time. So, um... <laughs> that would have been something else if it had come off. <laughs> so, for those who are into genre culture and Alamo draft house, whatever is in bullshit, um, there's a company called Mondo. Uh, it was run at that time by a guy by the name of Justin Ishmael, who was unceremoniously kind of removed uh, around the same time. Um, but Justin had approached us about doing some stuff for MondoCon. And at that point in time, MondoCon used to run out of the Marquesa Hall and Theater. Uh, it eventually grew and began to be hosted out of the Statesman building uh, that was down on Congress, I believe, at a certain point in time. But but then, it, but but at this time, it was it was being ho- hosted at hosted at the Marquesa Hall. Um, and Justin was a huge, huge wrestling fan, and he wanted to kind of get involved in our product. And of course, they did a lot of phenomenal poster work. And uh, at the time, I believe Justin was also creating inlays with Kenny Omega yeah. and the Young Bucks. And so there was a point in time where we were going to be a part of a show that was MondoCon themed, but you would have seen the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and, of course, Glacier <laughs> as part of this show. And in fact, we I was going so deeply as to price like snow machines and shit yeah. it was crazy um there was a lot of drama of course that occurred it dude, it would have made that whole point in time crazy because that show would have sort of transpired it would have been battle wars fun 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 mondo con almost yeah. like in a succession of like a week it would have been crazy and it would have probably killed us <laughs> but um Ishmael had some disagreements with the people uh, at Alamo, the big mother company, and uh, he was unseated uh, from Mondo, and unfortunately, since many of the people at Alamo have no integrity, and I have no problem fucking saying that, uh, they did not honor their deal with us. They sort of removed the wrestling component that Mondo was diving into. Uh, We were not even so much as spoken with. I had to kind of chase people down. Sort of shades of what happened when we did that one gig for Draft House to yeah. coincide with Pacific Pacific Rim or whatever. Yeah. So it was another bad bad time dealing with Alamo peripherally, but uh, Glacier was a contact that we had made, <laughs> and so when the MondoCon thing fell through, we continued to talk to Glacier, and we really wanted to set up. Jojo Bravo versus Glacier at the gold runs cold. <laughs> and that's why everything on the poster was, was it was fucking ice themed yeah. because we were going to get this guy. But then it actually didn't happen. Something happened and Glacier yeah. couldn't make the gig. Like he, we initially had him cinched and then just couldn't, couldn't yeah. secure him and it didn't happen. So that's like a fun, <laughs> a, a weird fun bunch of bullshit that we almost kind of forgot to talk about. Yeah. But um, yeah. Glacier almost came to inspire. <laughs> Super nice guy. Yeah. But also crazy to think about how yeah. we were actually talking to the Bucks and Omega, and we were actually going to be doing, I think, God, what was what were we going to do? I think we were going to do, like, I don't know. I think, we were, I think we were going to do Ricky versus Omega. Yeah, it was Ricky versus Omega, and then we were going to do something with the Young Bucks. Yeah, I don't remember what. Yeah. Probably something like Steve and JoJo, or no, I think no, because they were no, 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 it, was, it couldn't it, have I, been pretty, that way. I'm pretty sure it was gonna it was gonna be a controversy. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, which would have been yeah. a great match. But. So, um, yeah, so we <laughs> we could have been all elite before all elite, you know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> maybe not at that level, but you know. So yeah, the gold the gold still ran cold. <laughs> yes, yes <it's, laughs> but just just for different reasons. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking of that, like the main event of this show, which we were just kind of glossing over and going, why was this the main event again? But, um, pretty big match. Uh, one of my, um, favorite wrestlers was Eddie Kingston, right? Yeah. Um, and just favorite people. Well, he became one of my favorite people, right? But I mean, this was 100% and this wasn't something that I did a lot, um, 
But this was, you know, it's like, holy shit. We've been running for, at this point, three years, right? It's like, why haven't I brought in Eddie Kingston to Texas, right? I can, yeah. We can do this. Like, why haven't we done this? And it was actually, I was at a shitty um, Round Rock slash Pflugerville country bar. And, uh, as you want to do, as I used, I'm not much anymore, but as I was one to do, yes. Um, and, uh, Showtime, Scott Summers calls me and we get talking and I've had a few to drink. He, uh, no, he was sober at this time. So he was probably clear minded and, um, but excitable nonetheless. Always, always excitable. And we got on the topic of Eddie cause there's this weird, like mirror to the two of them. Like, Showtime is from Boston. Eddie's from New York. They're both very similar people. Yeah. Um, and then their mutual friends have pointed out to each other how similar they are. Um, and it was just like, why the fuck haven't we done this yet? And I was like, I, I don't know. Let's do this. So then the ball starts rolling. And um, we were we were building up towards Showtime and Keith Lee. So this was uh, this became a way to, to kind of... A clutch match to really establish yeah. Scott as as someone that you really wanted to see in this in this title match against Keith. Yeah, and and you know conveniently let me make this match that I thought needed to be made for the last like ten years. You know, um, so yeah, that's how that came across. And uh, let's get into Eddie before we get in the car. Sure. Like so, you know so. They say like never meet your hero, never meet your idols, you know all that type of stuff, right? Yeah, so I'm like, yeah. And I have, I had had some of those experiences already, you know. <laughs> so I was like, oh, fuck, man, like this guy, right? What, what the fuck do we, you know? Um. So he gets to the um, he gets to the building, and he's just like the most smiley, happiest to fucking be their person. He's not at all what. I anticipated him being no. because I'm I'm used to this guy who <laughs> presents as a very hood rat rogue kind of hooligan mm-hmm. and uh when I meet him though he is just goofy as shit <laughs> in the best way possible just like oh my god I want to give this guy a big yeah. old fucking hug yeah you know and and he just like when he when he smiles he just lights up the fucking room. That's not even an yeah. exaggeration. Just you know, I think uh, Biss has even touched on it before. When Eddie would come into town, he would sleep on my couch, and of course my kid my kid Fox would just crawl all over <laughs> him. I think I have photos of Fox riding him around my house, and he's on all fours, and yeah. Fox is just like lit up, just riding on his back. I, um, I think my favorite Inspire memory really was coming to pick Eddie up to take him back to the airport and him laying on the ground playing with Fox. Yeah. Just, uh, you know. just, and a lot of people I've seen discuss how much they love Eddie. And I think after this whole calling out movement, you've seen a lot of people who are just very wary of even loving anybody that yeah. they love anymore because they, they're like, what am I going to hear that's awful about this wrestler that I love? Eddie is one of those guys who I like someone someone has asked me like you you work with Eddie what was he like and I say oh man I cannot say enough good things about him he's a he's a million bucks I mean he's he you know he he is deep down I think the guy that he he pr- presents as like yeah. he, he can be scary yeah but I think but but my point my point is that he he's also a really sweet good person and a lot of people go Oh my God! What a relief! Because <laughs> yeah. they want to see good people succeed. Yeah. Well, and and you know, I think when life has put you in those positions to be that person, you yeah. know what I mean. You don't want to be that person all the time. You know what I mean. You you and uh, Eddie, for as much as he may, you know, when when you are a good person, there's that scary realization where like. You think you're average, but you realize you're in the upper percent. You know, yeah. Go, holy fuck! There's a lot of horrible people. Yeah, um, yeah. Eddie, in spite of it all, you know, and we all have our demons, right? We all have our our regrets and like choices we made that weren't the best. But when you look back on those and you go, oh fuck, I'm probably in the the lower fucking percentile, and then you really look at people and go, holy fuck, I'm I'm above average. Like, it's kind of you know, it throws yeah. you for a loop, right? Um, but I mean, Eddie, you know, 
despite whatever his own personal demons make him believe, is one of the best people in wrestling. So, and I, and, you know, and, and, and I think what, that's important. And he is one of the he, best promos in the business period. Yeah, right he, can, he can do the proverbial talk you into the building, right? Yeah. Um, which, I, when you look at... I don't want to get into like mainstream wrestling too much on this podcast because it's not really what it's about. But well, he's he's yeah. mainstream now. Now he is, so, that's for sure. And um, and you see that that company doing that, right? But when you look at the other company and you see them setting record lows for the ratings, they don't they don't it's not that they don't have people that could do it. They don't even allow people to reach that level anymore to do it, right? Yeah. And I think I, that's I, definitely part of the issues that they're having. You know, you can't say that they're having too many issues because they're still making record profits. But the the problems that they're having, I think you can pinpoint directly that they don't let people be stars and talk people into their product anymore. Yeah, and Eddie Eddie is a guy that definitely is gifted at that top tier. One of the one of the best, if not the best, promo guy in the business right now, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Anyway, and that that's something a soap opera writer can't do. But, no, no, definitely yeah. not. No, you can't write. I couldn't write a promo for him. I could give him a direction, but he's a guy who is just himself through and through, and who goes into very dark corners of his his, his uh, being. And and man, he bears his soul. Yep. Um. So, let's get to running the, the cold gold. <laughs> running the cold gold. Yeah, roll that. <laughs> Cold gold footage. Uh, okay, so um, I remember this being a really fulfilling card. I remember yeah. not thinking it was as sexy as it could have been because I think we had a lot of other stuff planned for this. Stuff that, fell through, right? fell through, but I remember this being, in terms of the quality of the wrestling and just in terms of the storytelling and everything, really, really good. Yeah, um, and I I don't know I don't think we touched on this yet, but there is a phenomenon when you're, when you're making it, putting a show together, booking a show, writing a show, you know, connecting the dots and all that stuff. That um, it's almost like if you were a chef and you were planning like a twelve course meal, but you only get to really do twelve or six courses. Yeah, and like the company you have, no, like enjoys the fuck out of the six courses you made, but you're sitting there thinking, oh man, I could have made those other fucking six courses, you know? Yeah. Like for, for us, we see what the, the big picture could have been. And then stuff gets cut down. And sometimes in the creative side of things, you, you can get caught up on all the stuff that, as I like to say, hits the cutting room floor. Um, but that doesn't mean that the end product isn't still great. You know what I mean? And I, I think there was maybe some of that this is, going this into is the show. For, for me, uh, very all, all, all killer, no filler. Yeah. It, it epitomizes that motto of ours. Um, anyway, let's, let's get into the card a bit, man. Yeah. So we, uh, we start off with Moonshine Mantel and Terrell Tempo. Which is a, for people in Texas, that's kind of a dream match. <laughs> yeah, man. It, right? If that had happened now, it, that'd be huge. Oh, yeah. That, that would have have been a card, card yeah. right now, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is two. This is two guys, and I hate to give them any rub, but two Rudy Boy students, right? Um, two very physical wrestlers, um, and this was no exception to that. They beat the shit out of each other here. This is a very. Um, this is a very bis match. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, this is. This is what I want in my wrestling. Um, and this is also uh, in terms of our pattern of delivering shows. We opened with something that was right out of the gate going to be kind of insane, top tier. Yeah, the, the quality cool, match. The cool part here. This is very much a, a bis style match, but there's certain matches that you can say that to that could also be a slog, right? Mm-hmm. That could could really um, be kind of um, on the wrong show. Could be boring as fuck, right? Um, the cool elements here is that we had a bit of an edge to Moonshine because he was riding with uh, Reigns and he was part of the whole storyline with Dell and Carson and, and Reigns at this point. And Tempo had this wonderful crowd reaction. People, right? loved, people loved him. Yeah. So when you have this style of match, you can't just have this type of match, right? Um, there has to be the little pieces around that make it mean something to have a physical match like this. Um, if it's just two random guys going out there and beating the shit out of each other, sh- a certain part of the audience is going to enjoy that. But w- to really hit the level that we're talking about here, you have to have those little extra things. This was also, I believe, the 
the first paver in a road to something bigger that we were planning, but that didn't necessarily get paid off yeah. because I think moonshine left for MLW. Yes. Shortly M- after. MLW throws a wrench in quite a few of our plans Absolutely. that so are, are starting to grow here. We were really planning to push uh, tempo into a title and we wanted to have that initial encounter between them that was very heated that people would remember yeah. and that later would be recalled upon once Timbo had gold. And yeah. uh, like I said, Moonshine moved on to uh, another company out of state and became fairly exclusive, if I'm... Uh, 100% yeah. exclusive at yeah, that okay. point. Yeah, I, I, mean, don't, I, don't, I don't remember what the MLW deal was. Uh, um, I mean, the guy was paying guys bills, so... Absolutely. It, you know, you got... It, it it hurt us, but hey, good on them, right? Yeah, and speaking of which, uh, you know, it, it took, I mean, it also kind of took Pierre Abernathy away from us yeah. eventually, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah. So, and now, and Pierre at this point is physically Her, pretty banged yeah, up. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, this is maybe my favorite Submission Squad match that we ever put on. It's um, pretty fun. Yeah, this is the Submission Squad defeating Barrett Brown and Scotty Santiago. Which, in my mind, was... God, what a great tag team. Yeah. And if we had that tag team today, holy shit. How great would that be? Oh. Dude, if, if they had... Yeah. Yeah, I mean... But I, I also think that, at that point in time... The, I mean, Scotty Scotty moved on and really honed honed his craft. Yeah, Scott, and, this is around the time Scotty moved to Mexico. Yeah. Right, so... So that 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 was one of the reasons people asked like what happened um, you know that was that was one of the things that prevented us from booking him like we did. What's what's really funny is like I remember Dylan Dunbar talking about coming back at, at, at one point and it might have been around this point in time and uh, he called me and said yeah you know uh, you know Dunbar was part of that looks at kill thing yeah uh, that was around uh, uh, Sistine. The Sistine, the Mr. Blackwell of wrestling gimmicks where he would basically criticize people's gear. And, of course, Dunbar and the other jackass, they were very flamboyant. Uh, and, man, do we, we, did I ever really talk about the call? No. The call when Dunbar and... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. we, we went into that. Okay, yeah. well, at one point, um, Dunbar considered coming back and he called me and he expressed interest. However... I think someone got in his ear, and he called me back and basically just said, yeah, fuck you, I don't like how you book my friends, which was at that time like all the people in the Funaki Dojo. Yeah. But a lot of the way that a lot of those guys were being booked had nothing to do with me. It had to do with outside interests, you know, or people just not getting along at times. Like, I mean... The only only one you can kind of point to is uh, is Shire, but Shire was due... It wasn't like we were going out of our way shit kept popping up. Yeah. Know? I mean, it wasn't like we were like, oh, let's bury these Funaki kids. Every time I had plans for Shire, yeah. they fell apart or someone got injured <laughs> or something. It just, like, that's yeah. just, it's Murphy's and, Law with some people, yeah. you know, it happens. And um, let's also point out that Doom was one of his friends at this point, and we were treating her fairly well. Yeah, that, that actually <laughs> kind of pissed me off, because, yeah. like, we were really pushing Delilah to the moon. Um at this point, like we had big, big plans yeah. for her, and she was a part of some really big marquee moments in our company, you know. But uh, we, and you know, I'm sure Scotty was part of it, but we kind of talked about what was going on with Scotty. Yeah, um, there was friction between he and Reigns and Mantel. Yeah. Um, Barrett was concerned with being attached to Scotty because these other two guys that he respected had issues with him. Um, people said it was difficult to plan matches with him at times. Sorry, Scotty, if that bums you out, but that's like, that was one of the reasons why I was kind of like, I had to kind of pump the brakes on a few moments, but also Scotty was doing other stuff. And when you can't be available, like one of the things that makes our company really unique is that we have people that are consistently featured and we tell stories that are overarching, like they go on for years at a time and we don't just plug people into spots and go, here's a fucking match with no context. We try to really build up the importance of every single match in terms of story so they have gravity, so they matter, yeah. so that people want to see what's next. Well, and he- here's something that's probably not something a-, a promoter would say, but fuck it, I'm going to say it, right? Um, 
in the grand scheme of things, maybe we weren't the best spot for Scotty, even though we had our plans for him. And look what happened. He went to Mexico, right? Yeah. He he fucking trained down there. He made all sorts of contacts. He came back. He worked his ass off. And look where Scotty Santiago is today. You know what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes sometimes it's just not the right fit, right? And hey, he's, he's, now he's, he's fucking amazing. He's grown, but also just when you talk to him as a person, there's just... You, you can perspective. Tell perspective <laughs> it's amazing. Perspective and maturity and, yeah. you know humbleness and you know all yeah. things that come with really kind of getting out on the road and putting yourself in difficult places i mean i know that when he was down there training he oh yeah he was really going through the ringer yeah so um anyway yeah that ma- this match is great and of course it's building towards something with barrett and the submission squad uh that has <laughs> a really crazy payoff eventually but i had a lot a of a few crazy payoffs a, if yeah, we're gonna be honest payoffs things these are the things that I want to do, by the way, when we come back. I want to do more crazy wrestling because I look back and go, I can't fucking believe that he let me do that. <laughs> I want more moments like that yeah. once all this craziness dies down. But anyway, into the next match, which is with uh, Jessica James and... Uh, and Hyann. Yeah, Hyann. Hyann. Uh, a very young Hyann at this point. Yeah. So we, we had kind of attached her with Alex because they were um, both training at Booker's. And he, Alex Reigns had actually um, brought her up. Like, hey, this girl's coming up. She's got a lot of promise. And um, this was part of Jessica James um, rewriting the the women's division, right? Yeah, writing, writing the ship, so to speak. <laughs> so one of the beautiful things Jessica uh, could do was to kill a Stroud gimmick. <laughs> Um, if you remember, she cut the, like the really amazing promo to like basically, uh, neuter the, the, um, bookmarks, you know? Um, and then she cuts a really good promo after this to be like, Hey, the women's wrestling has not been off. That's changing starting now. Yeah. And I think that really kind of helped us, um, to really kind of kind of start to establish the women's division we had as what we wanted it to be. Yeah. And um, she, at the end of this match, she, she announces, and this was something that we did where she would, um, she would call out who she was going to wrestle next. Right. Um, what did we, cause she was the hunting champion or something like yeah, that. The huntress, the huntress. Yeah. Um, and so, um, hood slam wrestling in California was getting a lot of notice at this point. And we wanted to try to kind of um, bring in somebody from Hood Slam and see if we could get any carryover audience. So um, Brittany Wonder was their golden fanny pack champion or something like that. Um, so we were going to bring in Brittany Wonder uh, to wrestle Jessica James at the next show. So they announced that here. Um, and we, we'll talk about that on Got the next pop. podcast. Yeah, it did. People knew what we were doing and, and knew where also- we were coming from. The Britney Wonder announcement, too, marks a period where I think we were really adept at selling people in, who were in the building on our next event. And you'd see actual Twitter traffic yeah, uh, surrounding announcements that we, we would pepper throughout the show. People would get excited in the crowd. I feel like we were really at our carniest <laughs> at that point we were really good like yeah hey, you enjoy that next month yeah, yeah you know yeah. we were doing pretty good with that stuff too yeah um we'd uh we'd give a sample out but you know you had to pay for the next one absolutely um but yeah that was um we also had set dates at this point which helped out yeah you know? yeah so that dude that's one thing that i think that we have not yet t- touched upon even at this point years in was that it was very hard to book a lot of these shows because we were on like a month by month basis. Yeah, and and so like we wouldn't know what our next date would be because they wouldn't give us a slate of dates. They would just kind of go, "Yeah, you." <laughs> Dev Dev would just kind of go, "Oh, we might be able to do this," and we didn't even have like a date secured until we put the deposit down. Yeah, or something like I- she. I yeah. remember having like very intense, like, well, do we have the date or not? And we'd be like, I sh- I, we don't know. We don't we know. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. And it's like, fuck. And it, dude, it would, and, and yeah. there was a lot of frustration with the 
the roster. People would be yeah. mad at us, but it's like when you're dealing with a venue. And, and in Austin, the one thing that you really have to understand is that everybody overvalues their property. Yes. And Marquesa at that point was a steal. Yeah. Uh, when you look at how much uh, other venues wanted, you look yeah. at a place like fucking Emos, uh, that, that oh, abomination down on Riverside. Hell, what did they want? They wanted something like three grand plus a big it's higher. Thing. It's higher than that now, but yeah. But it was like three grand at the and time, a percentage of the door. Percentage of the door and a percentage of the bar. Yeah. Like they wanted, and if you didn't hit a minimum at the bar, you had to pay them more. Yep. But like that to me was it was astronomical. There was just no way that you could make your money back. So. And then, of course, there are venues that have, that have, and they think that wrestling is this very negative, awful thing that's going to bring in people who are going to shit in the water fountain or something, <laughs> you know? Like, uh, there are a lot of venues who've been soured on mixed martial arts, let's just say. Yeah. And unfortunately, people kind of lump wrestling and mixed martial arts together. Oh, and yeah. an MMA crowd is vastly different. From, <laughs> very different. <laughs> vastly different very, from a wrestling different. crowd. Wrestling crowds, though vocal and wild yeah. and drink a lot, they're there to have fun. And I feel like the people that go to MMA sh- events aren't there to have fun. They're there to watch people get fucking killed. Oh, it's it's the Roman gl- like it's it's, it's um, Christians and lions. Man, yeah, the know? the vast. I, so I'll touch a little bit on the the Palmer Fireside, right? Like. Um, MMA fans, right? The vast majority are looking for something completely different than wrestling fans, right? There's a small intersection, right? That you can, I guess it's larger than you would think. But like you say, most of these MMA fans are your stereotypical affliction wearing, you know, Roman Coliseum want to see some guy. They just want to see violence, right? Um, and yeah, for the most part, uh, I would prefer not to be in the same room as those people. Um, but like, there is the the Vulcan, the catch wrestling, you know, that's that intersection that uh, that I really do enjoy. Um, there, there's there's a lot of MMA fans also herald themselves as being better than professional wrestling fans because yes. wrestling is <laughs> quote unquote and, fake, and they have their Kevin Nash Wolfpack fucking t-shirt on in high school you know yeah. what i mean like it, it's they're into whatever the end thing is um i what you'll find is people that are actually fans of technique of martial arts and technique of grappling and the technique of things are probably the ones that you're gonna have most have your crossover yeah with and, and of course people who can appreciate the athleticism yeah. of, of what res- wrestling can can be uh i i'd also like to say that why i think wrestling is incredible is that it isn't real necessarily it's still impactful it still requires a level of athleticism that is just incomprehensible incomprehensible to me sometimes um but if it were two people in the ring really just beating the shit out of each other for real i think that would be less impressive i think what makes wrestling impressive is the illusion but it's still very hard-hitting it's still involves a great deal of jeopardy it still has its risks and i it's like i it's like i i said you know months and months ago when a bunch of guys get together in a bunker and practice their songs and then get up on stage you don't call the performance that you see on stage fake because they practiced beforehand yeah so but anyway i i digress (laughs) um Finding a venue in Austin is difficult because a lot of people overvalue their real estate. But beyond that, they've been burnt by a lot of people. We talked previously about the uh, convention center that had been... uh... (laughs) But anyway, we've talked about in the past venues that had been burnt by uh, wrestling promoters who pocket the majority of what they have and don't really go and like promote to bring a crowd to the building. So people have been burnt. People affiliate wrestling with MMA. People think that their shit just is, is worth more than it actually is. Um, so it's, it's hard to find a good, a good venue. Also, the one thing I, we have not really touched upon is that at the same time that we were running in Marquesa, we were also sharing the space quite frequently with Austin film society. Yes. And so there was, 
oftentimes kind of bleed over where a bunch of bunch of blue bloods would be. That's what made the space so great is you'd have these like really super haughty like Westlake type people coming out to see a fucking Fellini film and they're standing next to some oiled up spot monkey at the bar and and, and his chones essentially some guy in a leather diaper is standing next to them and they're just like I, the, 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 just the, the the complete the complete chaos of the Marquesa lobby was great but also there was yeah there was a problem where a lot of the time we had to be very quiet as there was a film showing and they tried to schedule it around us because yeah. we were only there like one Sunday but we were definitely bringing in revenue that we paid for the space they kept the bar but um, it was definitely something that we were very concerned about. We had to keep the volume down for a period, and then we could go nuts. But the Marquesa was a really unique space. You know? There was definitely a point in time when there was a one of those like documentary-type movies showing that featured like some rich old dude. And he would have like the Austin blue-hair blue fucking-type uh, socialites coming in to see this movie at the same time we were starting to line up. I'll always remember that because there was some old, you know, rich grandma looking fucking just motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of my favorite, one of my favorite inspire memories is when I was, I'm standing at the door and, uh, this woman who's there to see some art film wanders in to the front of our doors and, she, she she sees like the, the the drunken rabble losing their minds to the wrestling match and she's she's very clearly taking a wrong turn and she's standing there just watching this kind of like mouth agape and she goes is this is this the the is this the Fellini film and I'm like no <laughs> and she goes where is the film and I said the ring is the film and she went brilliant she, <laughs> she bought a ticket and stayed and that woman uh, actually came back like oh uh, that's awesome she, she came back multiple times um but um yeah but yeah anyway so let's go back into the car Dive back in the car the magic the magic of the marquesa though we haven't we haven't really talked about how great a space yeah. it was and we call it home and it will it will always be home no matter where we go um but uh yeah anyway so after after uh after the XX Division title match, um, we have an Inspire Pro Pure Prestige title match with Keith Lee defeat, defending against Jojo Bravo. Yeah, and this kind of this kind of progresses with, um, you know, Jojo is in the same stable as Thomas Shire at this point. They're yeah. being managed by Nigel Rabbit. But it's also just a really fun dynamic to have Jojo, who is Jojo-sized, and Keith Lee, who is this massive human being. And... Uh, for them to kind of exchange holds and do lucha and and uh, there was a lot of just really fun athletic creative spots in this. Um, and of course, Keith Keith Lee's impressive no matter what he's doing. Yeah. But watching him toss someone around who is like child size <laughs> comparatively, uh, it really made Keith look even even more <laughs> impressive. There was always a very visceral. Um, visual response to seeing Keith just snatch up somebody that much smaller than him. Like, like seeing a great white shark fucking eat a seal in a fucking Nat Geo fucking show or something. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it always got that response. But this, but this was a great match. Um, and this is, this was of course, I think I don't remember what we had for Keith initially, but this was supposed to be the glacier match. Yeah. Um, but of course that was not to be, um, uh, and then after this, though, we have the Striking Gold Battle Royal. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even remember what the fuck this was about. It, this was the predecessor to the Gates of Ecstasy. Gates, Gates of I Ecstasy, believe. yeah. Yeah, was there... we used to have it on Ecstasy of Gold. Yeah, we right? did. Yeah, no, we still do. Um, the Battle of the Gates of Ecstasy was where someone got a title shot at the next Ecstasy of Gold. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that conceptually was here quite yet i love to book battle royals bis fucking hates it I hate battle uh, they, royals. Are, they are a nightmare to him <laughs> i uh tend to overscript them because as i as i often say even if i get 70 to 60 percent of something 
it's still gonna look amazing yeah. and uh i treat these as opportunities to explore new talent see how people see how people follow direction that's really and important. respond to direction to respond yeah, to direction yeah. yeah some people will just go i'm not listening to this guy and go out there and act like a dick and then i'm just like yeah you don't need to come back um like albert albert called me an asshole for doing that i'm like i don't see how that's me being an asshole this is a fucking you, gig man and if, you know, can't, if you can't flip the burger you don't need to yeah. fucking be here and here's the deal we i'm, I'm gonna go into a, a tirade here a little bit so bear with me when you look at independent wrestling as a whole and i'm not talking about us obviously but when you talk look at top level independent wrestling it has gone to fucking shit you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the 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 space that Ring of Honor held before it became a corporate entity. That space of of the top level, this is where all the independent guys come before they go to the next level. That has gone to shit. And a big reason why is because a lot of those companies that hold those spots now don't give a fuck what the boys do. They just throw them out there and these so-called dream matches, even though there's none fucking left because they haven't built any of them, right? And there's no direction. So they go from that to the fucking PC or to Dark where they finally get some direction before they go to the next level. Direction on the independent scene is what the independent scene is missing. So we definitely the, the idea of <laughs> not giving any direction did not go well. Like, you can look at the quality of these shows that are out there that are supposed super indies and... Yeah, I think it speaks for itself. That's my little tirade. A lot of the super indie shows or spot cards you see are just people throwing shit at the wall. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they just they're they're like trying to cram as many spots as they can into a card. And then um, what's it matter the next the yeah. next show? You but know? with these with these battle royals that I did, and this is one thing that this absolutely cannot take away from them is that I I really used them to launch storylines and to create moments that made people. They were, they, there were definitely opportunities that people could make the most of being presented to that yeah. crowd because that crowd was receptive. Who, whoever's in that battle royal, whatever their storyline is, is going to progress on this show. Uh, another thing yeah. that I really wanted to talk about here is a guy named Bandana Joe. Okay, <laughs> so this is this is a fun topic. Um, a lot of the time, I had people pitching to me to bring people in from other cities where they would do things and had gimmicks that were fairly over. And there very much is a difference in terms of San Antonio, Dallas, Austin. The Austin crowd, I think, is a little more intelligent. They, they're, you know, they're in on it, but they're also just, they're just flat out smarter than, say, the San Antonio crowd. I don't give a fuck. I, I'll say it. I wouldn't go with the San Antonio crowd because I would say that's the closest to Austin. But the Dallas and Houston crowd, it's it's very different crowds. But and, when you look at San Antonio, that is the place that birthed the wrestler by the name of Alberto Del Frito, who is an Alberto Del Rio clone who throws out fucking Frito hey. chips. And that guy's over, okay? <laughs> well. Don't even come at me with that shit. I mean, there's a lot of really bad crap that comes out of San Antonio. That's this, over. This is true. There's a lot of really bad promoters in San Antonio, too. There, there you go. I, I have so, a special place in my heart for a lot of the San Antonio crowd. So, so anyway, Bandana Joe is this guy <laughs> that comes out and has band, have, wears a bandana and swings a bandana around, and he is Bandana Joe. And everybody was just like, oh, this guy just gets over with the crowd in Dallas. And this is like one of those moments where I was just kind of like, no one's going to fucking care. But I was cajoled and persuaded into letting this guy do what he does so that someone could prove me wrong, which, when you try to prove me wrong, you're always going to fucking fail. I'm going to be that overconfident yeah. about it. You know? I just knew that this guy was not going to go over. So, what people in Dallas find entertaining is not necessarily going to go over here. You can't treat indie wrestling the same all over the place. You have to, you have to kind of acclimate to your market. And this guy <laughs> went out there and did his zippity doodah bandana waving routine. And it was kind of magical and pure and innocent, <laughs> but people were just kind of like, what? Yeah, yeah it, didn't, um, it didn't work in that building, that's yeah. for sure. And uh, so, okay, so we had we had the Pump Patrol in this, I believe. Yep. Uh, along with Alex Reigns. Uh, one notable guy that we had in, in this was Big Sean Studd, which is Big John Studd's kid. Yeah. He was in this. 
Uh, we were checking him out. Um, I don't really remember the experience, but he was a fairly large man. Yeah, he was a big guy. Yeah. Um, came came to quite a few shows looking for a spot. Yeah. And then got this spot. I think like like was overheard just shitting on our show. <laughs> so it's like yeah, that actually, yeah, yeah, that was like a all right, man. Yeah, uh, we're yeah. we're done here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Delilah Doom was in the mix. Um, Jerome Daniels. Yeah. Let's talk about I forgot, Jerome. I forgot we had even used Jerome. Yeah. So Jerome Daniels or Jerome Griffey, as he goes by now, a uh, very different wrestler at this point. Uh, good friend of Keith Lee's. So I'm pretty sure Keith was the one pushing for him here. Keith uh, and actually, Palmer. Palmer, yeah. Palmer yeah. really, Palmer really loves Jerome. So um, Jer- my issue with Jerome at the time, and I've told him this, was that he basically did all of Randy Orton's moves. He did the fucking, the pose, even the pose. Yeah. Did, did the, uh, ACE cutter as his, uh, as his finish did the, um, the body slam, the snap body slam, like just enough to where it was like, that's too much of the same thing to, for me to ever really. Also, he just, he came once again from a different, different area where. Yeah. A lot of people, we're looking for something that was akin to the spirit of what they saw on television. And that's not really, yeah, we we're more of an alternative to that. We're doing our own thing. So we're not trying to pop people that are there to see this move that they saw on TV. Yeah. Well, and, and Jerome too had, had come up in the Dallas area at PCW and yeah. at XCW when they had TV, they had local TV shows. Um, that were run like, you know, <laughs> you know, local versions of what you would see on, on big TV shows, right? So, um, I I think now he's a much, he's a much uh, more well rounded. Yeah, and uh, he definitely somebody that I'd be interested in working with at this point. And here, but at yeah. this point in time, he was it was not going not to work to, in our building. It was again. not not meant to be. No, um, another individual whom I've been asked, why is he on your shows? Uh, from people who are not even from Austin. Um, Johnny Swole. Now, Johnny Swole we actually had plans for. Uh, we did a bunch with Johnny Swole. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> you know. But, like, I think what made me kind of just go fuck it and throw my hands up in the air was I saw him online just talking about how great main event wrestling was, which is not a problem necessarily. Yeah. But when you say that this other company is the only company that matters in Texas. Yeah. And you're working for me, who's also in Texas, yeah. and I'm not the company that you just put over. I don't want to fucking work for you, yeah. like, or with you. And, you know, for you, because, like, it is a job. Yeah. I, my job is to help get you over and present you and give you context, right? Yeah. So I, he just kind of, like, shit on every company that wasn't main event in Texas. <laughs> and I was like, well, if you don't, you know, if you're not. So this, yeah. this is another of the Texas house style, right, where he really fell in love with with what, uh, you know, Carson and, you know, I, I hate to use Carson as the main guy, but Carson was the guy that was the best at it, I think. Um, but that Texas house style without the, uh, the same level of intensity and without the little extra bells and whistles that make it really pop. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, we intended to use Johnny Swole as a third in the pump patrol. And also because Kurt Matthews, a lot of the time, was off doing Nintendo making shit. Video games. Yeah, making video games. <laughs> We've talked about that before. And Swole was supposed to be the guy that could kind of like like fill in that role because we really wanted to do more stuff with Pump Patrol. But unfortunately, just I didn't feel like Johnny wanted to be there. Um, and so that didn't work out. Uh, and of course, so also Paige Turner was in this again. I think we were looking at Paige again. Yeah. Like at this point, she was. It was like, what else can we do with her? Yeah. You know? Um, and then of course Thomas Shire. Uh, do you? I don't. I don't know who won this. Kurt, who, Kurt Matthews Kurt. won it for the Pump Patrol. Okay. So the pumps. That, it was basically whoever won got a title shot of their choosing. Okay. Yeah. Um, similar to what we do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And uh, okay, so after that we had. Uh, you remember Tag Cade? Back at yep. Tag Cade, we had uh, Andy Dalton and Matthew Palmer had come together after their feud uh, to. Go after Davey Vega and Tim Storm. Of course, controversy had turned at Andy Dalton at Tagcade. Matthew Palmer uh, is becomes a means to an end uh, for Andy. They become a company. Uh, I'm sorry, a tag team known as Dirty Magazines. 
and uh, of course Gregory James and Jason Silver interjected themselves into the mix because they had beef with Palmer thwarting them, but also we were trying to at that point work in some weird ECW invasion angle <laughs> that Ricky Starks was absolutely certain that he could talk uh, Darren Child. <laughs> Old DC into. Yeah, which did not happen. Yeah. But this was a uh, a tornado triple threat tag match. And also we did we did this because as we mentioned previously, the belts were not done <laughs> at our tag team crowning yeah. event. So we kinda we kinda like we kinda we kinda like did a schmoz <laughs> and then set up this match, this triple threat match, and boy howdy, this I remember being a banger. Yep. This was an incredible match. I think it exposed Silver a bit. Um, he seemed kind of lost a few times. Yeah, so it was one of those moments too where I was kind of like, I don't know if he belongs. Yeah, here. he he was also apparently not in the best health at this time, but oh, hadn't told anyone. Yes, this is true. This is one thing I totally forgot about. Yeah. He he was having heart issues, yeah. but he didn't tell us. No, he didn't tell anybody. You should tell fucking people when you're having <laughs> things like that, so that you don't die in the company's ring, yeah. you know. And also just so you don't fucking die. Yeah. yeah. But um, this was crazy. Um. It was basically like a, like I said, a tornado style match. Uh, I tend to really despise when there are multi tag, multi team tag matches, and someone has to tag in another opponent. Like I don't understand why anybody would even do that. Um, but yeah, it was all three teams in the ring at the same time, and it was bonkers, and it was great. And of course, Vega and Storm Up controversy take it to become the Twin Dragon connection yeah. champions well and there was sort of questions of well why why wouldn't you put the belts on dalton and palmer real quick and then just switch them back but i don't think that either one of us thought a quick title change especially on a first title reign was a good idea no you know? no not yeah it didn't make sense like why hot potato it so plus, i mean like... the moment still happened right yeah they still had the moment and the matches were still great i don't think that Dalton and Palmer not actually winning the titles took took anything really away from it. And and as you look back on it, you remember how good the matches were. You remember the moments. Them not actually winning the titles at this point takes nothing away. They really book. they really didn't need the belts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that's that was a great match. Probably one of my favorite matches in Inspire history. I, I think a lot of the favorite matches that I've had are ones that are completely chaotic that a lot of people. That like we, I know that you were watching them and going, "Oh my God, is is everything okay?" Um, but that that was a really energetic match that I really loved. Um, and from here, we go into a match that kind of plays upon history that we built up to and uh, didn't really get to visit yeah. uh, under ideal circumstances. Yeah, we, well, this was a way of keeping our word. Yeah, you know? basically. Um, so initially. Uh, we had done we had done a match between Ray Rowe and Mike Dell, where uh, Rowe went over, and we were supposed to do another match where Dell got his win back while Dell had the title, but yep. Ray had been in a heinous <laughs> uh, uh, accident, a car accident. Oh, he's on a motorcycle. Yeah, right? yeah. He, he crashed a motorcycle and went through somebody's car. He should not have been alive. Yeah, um, but. Obviously, that put the kibosh in what we really wanted to do. And we still wanted to honor our word to Dell that Dell would get his win back over, over Ray because that was really important to him. Yeah. And so this match this match occurred. You can talk a little bit about it if you like. Uh, I mean, it was they had great matches. Yeah. Right? This was, this was the third. There, there was a series of three. There was two that happened in our company, right? Yeah. Um, so this got... Got Dell his win back. There was uh, some interference from Lance Hoyt. I believe so. Um, to kind of set up some row and Hoyt stuff that we wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it. There's nothing, nothing that completely stands out. Just a solid. You know, these two are going to go in and give you a solid fucking performance. Right? Absolutely. These are two, you know, basically TV ready guys. You know. Um, and just professionals. So you got a workman, a workman's uh, outing, you know? Yeah, it's a great match. <clears throat> and speaking of great matches, holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we all knew that this was going to be 
really good. Yeah. Um, we had righted the ship at Tagcade with the Inspire Pro title while Ricky had that two out of three falls match with Andy Dalton. We we knew that his first real, like real defense would uh, like outside of that. We wanted to do something that would be ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, I think this like this pairing of Starks and Sammy, who are both now in AEW, <laughs> yeah. was going to be sexy. And I think we're going to see that again. Mm-hmm. You know, like replayed in the company uh, that they're both in now. And you know that it's going to be special. Um, oh yeah. But, and and yeah. what's cool is this is this is another example of us. You know, this is the first match. So yeah. Because the first is, match is so good. People wanted to see the second match. This was this was an insane match, um, and they they had flirted with each other in the J Cup and J Crown stuff. They, they, right? Yeah, they absolutely. But had, this so was the first. History. This was the first one on one. And and this is also, I think you start. This is where I think you start to see Ricky begin to evolve into the master seller that he is today. Yeah. Um, this match is phenomenal. If you can find it, seek it out. It's worth seeing these guys early on, before their AEW days. Um, but this is a phenomenal match, and of course we revisited the, this match later on, and again they just overdelivered. Yeah. I think this may be one we should uh, we should clip this and put it on the YouTube for a couple couple weeks. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'll, uh, by the time that this gets released, we'll make sure that it's out there on our YouTube for you guys. A- absolutely, so I'll, absolutely, I'll make sure that happens. And then, of course, comes the main event. <laughs> the main event. <clears throat> so, Showtime, Scott Summers, and Eddie Kingston. Man, this is a. Uh, I mean, this is supposed to be just two street dogs, like that are pissed off at the world, right? Um, but there was a weird, like, beautiful story to this whole thing. Yeah. Like, so their entire careers—that's what they were. They were, you know, street kids that fucking were from. Boston and New York, you know, Yankees, Red Sox. Legit tough guys, yeah. too. And by the time we get to this point in history, um, they're both in really good places. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, personally. Um, so it becomes almost more of this, like, competitive catch-as-catch-can match, you know? Yeah. Then it's a, a dogfight. Um but that's who they were when we got here. You know what I mean? It yeah. was these two guys that came from these these bad backgrounds and you know the, everything they did to overcome it. Um that you know you would just you know to go back to the Roman you just wanted to see blood. Um but what we actually got was more of this like you know them it was like the stepbrothers like did we just become best friends type moment you know there there was a there was a very like silky stiffness to this yeah. match <laughs> yeah and it, you know, almost like they would hit each other and then encourage the other one to, to fire back bring it, not bring like it, not yeah. like yeah not like fuck you give me your best but come on man i want the best out of you uh and that's what this became which was never what i imagined it as camaraderie yeah. develops over it the was, course of the match it was between, it was yeah. never what i imagined the match but the match itself was just so beautiful and the the story and maybe i'm the only one that would ever see that complete story but to me it's just such a, a beautiful culmination of, of these two people finally coming together and, and meeting in this this fight and that's what happens like it just very, it felt very real. Um, it felt very logical. Um, yeah, and it's it just it's just this this beautiful story. Um, uh, and the of end course, cap. and of course Scott Scott is up. Yeah, here. Scott Scott goes <clears throat> over, and and that's the the promo afterwards. You think of the Eddie Kingston promos. You think of, of how raw and how real they are, and it's really more like, hey man, you're gonna go fight this fucking big guy, right? You're gonna go. You're gonna do it, right? Let's go fucking do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which here we are again. Now we've set up Scott and Keith for our, our next show. Yeah. And uh, this was also a great experience working for Eddie as we touched upon. This was his first uh, first time in yeah. Inspire, but it would not be his last. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully, it's still, it's, hopefully we still haven't seen it last time, but you never know. Yeah, you never know. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, Ecstasy of Gold... The gold ran cold. The gold ran very cold, <laughs> and uh, that was a good show. I think. I think in hindsight, I know you said this is one of your favorites. This is definitely one of my favorite Inspire shows. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's number one, but it's definitely on the list. It's a top tier contender. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's good to be back, um, and we'll rejoin you next week with another exciting installment of Inspire AD. Thanks for joining us. Hope you guys had a good, good holiday, and uh, it's good to be back. Yeah. Back in black. Thank you.